Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Tom Herkus. Tom is a relative of mine. Tom's obsession is Alaska and flying, really flying, which ties into Alaska and Alaska, which ties into flying. He would call himself a dreamer. Uh, I'd say he's an adventurer. So this is a, a really fun one for me. I, I really enjoyed this. We got into some stories that I haven't heard, even though I've spent a fair amount of time with Tom over the years. Uh, and as we were recording this, there is some voices in the other room. We didn't realize there was a meeting going on and some of that noise infiltrated into the mics here, but we felt that this, I felt that the stories that we talked about in the, the episode itself is well worth releasing at potential risk of, of hearing some voices in the background. So hopefully it doesn't take away too much. Uh, I really enjoy this. I hope you guys do as well. Here we go. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Hey, Tom. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Here to talk about I mean, we could go many directions, but mainly what I'm interested in and what we're here to talk about, Alaska and flying. But what came first? Was it Alaska or flying? Uh, Alaska, even though I always had an interest in flying. So like the little kid looking up at airplanes flying over. Yeah. Or, but I went to Alaska before I ever even saw an airplane up close. Okay. What year was that when you first went to Alaska? In 2003. Okay. And what did that inspire from? Was that a, a friend's trip or what was that? Yeah, there was a group of friends. Uh, so friends from since before I was in kindergarten. And uh, we said when we graduated from college, we're going to take a year off and go to Alaska and live up there for a summer. And uh, so four of us did, lived in a tent, hmm. went to uh, Homer, Alaska first, and then we didn't have any reason to go there. We just liked the Simpsons. We like <laughs> picked a name on a map and said, we're going to go live in Homer. Yeah. Well, we went there and we got a campsite set up and we started looking for jobs in Homer. Well, there wasn't very many of them. So we went to the library and we're looking, trying to find any job openings. And it rained the first day and rained the second day and rained the third day. And then we're like, when we were driving through Saldatna, there was good fishing on the on the Kenai River there at a campground called the Centennial Campground. So he said, "Hey, let's let's." Well, I think we said we're going to go to Fairbanks. Someone told us there's jobs in Fairbanks, so we left Homer. Uh, even though we paid for like two weeks on the campsite, there was someone else pulling in. We're like, "Hey, we already paid for this campsite. If you want it," uh, they were like, "Yep." They pulled in. We pulled out. Uh, we're on our way to Fairbanks, and we stopped. No, this is where we figured out actually that there was good fishing. We we stopped there for lunch maybe and to go fishing on our way to Fairbanks. And uh, we're in a campground. We're like, why don't we just stay here? And uh, so we got a campsite at the Centennial Campground. And pretty soon, uh, Ken and I, uh, we got jobs for the, for the city. It was a city-owned campground. So we worked in the campground cutting firewood and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then Mark and Dan, who were with us, they both got jobs in town, one at a gas station, one at the grocery store. And then we spent the summer there, uh, had access to showers with the campground. They gave us a free campsite once we started working for them. 
Okay. So that was uh, the first summer that you had been there. Was it instantly Alaska's amazing or what was that experience like? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and when we went up there, I had a bunch of gold mining stuff and watched a bunch of videos on how to pan for gold. And uh, I read books on how you catch gold or how you get it with a, like a sluice box. And then, uh, so I wanted to build a high banker. So I had bent up uh, a piece of sheet metal prior to going for a sluice box. And I hadn't had it built all the way yet. But when we were in the campground, I spent time and I built a high banker. Well, I'd never seen a high banker before. I just read about it. So it was kind of unique looking. It had like plastic tubs and stuff for classifying the dirt. And we'd shovel it in that had water spray. And it was just a, a sluice box that you pump water up to it. And uh, then I, we joined the Gold Prospectors Association. They have some claims all around Alaska. Went to a claim and there's a bunch of old timers there mining for gold. And here we are, a bunch of kids, kind of whatever, with this homemade <laughs> high banker. And they'd come look at it and they'd be like, what is that you got? And they'd walk around it for a while. And then they go, I can't see any reason why it wouldn't work. Yeah. And walk away. <laughs> and they're real helpful, though, the old guys, like, because there wasn't that many kids looking for gold. It was all like 60, 70 year old retired guys uh, or people who've done it their whole life. And there isn't much money in looking for gold like that. So you don't see kids doing it, but we looked at it, it was like fishing. We didn't care if we found anything or not. We we're camping out on a river looking for gold. And then the people you meet out there, there's like a guy from uh, Hungary, Jula the Hungarian, <laughs> uh, big bearded guy. He had a pistol grip Mossberg slung over his shoulder 24 seven. Yeah. He slept on the front seat of this 19 late seventies uh, pickup truck, single is a single cab. He slept on the front seat every day on the gold claim and uh he he would try to make a living at it and he had a wife back in town and she'd make him food and so he'd go back into town like once a month or something and he'd come back with cake and whatever and he'd always give us some so you meet a lot of characters out there like that yeah yeah so you were working and panning for gold at the same time somewhat simultaneously or how did that work yeah so Worked in the campground, and then uh, every weekend we'd go sleep. we go spend the weekend or whatever. If our weekend wasn't on the weekend, like it was a Monday, Tuesday, they let me and Ken uh, kind of arrange our schedules so we could go at the same time because we're both working. Like I worked in the campground more, and he kind of helped. Uh, he'd go to the parks, different parks and rec. Well, we were for the parks and rec, but he would go. Uh, he was out and about doing other things while I was in the campground. Yeah. And, uh, so we get the same days off and spend the weekend out there every weekend yeah when did you first hit gold and what was that like uh the probably the first the first day we got to the claim uh it was raining and cold and we got there in the middle of the night and uh we just pulled a tarp out and we slept under it and i remember we didn't sleep very well because the mosquitoes were really bad and we were pretty pretty wet already and there's uh an old timer on the claim uh named roy duncan he kind of ran it and uh when we when we walked up in the morning we we're like we're gonna look for gold he he brought us to a spot that was actually a really good spot and said this is what you should do and start we started looking uh and he was kind of teaching us how to do it and he sat there and uh actually when he walked up on us he goes uh where's your firearm I'm like uh <laughs> 
we don't have one, which I did have one. I didn't have it on me though. I left it in the vehicle and uh, he can't, it was kind of like, seemed like an attack, but then he walks back to his, his uh, camper and he walks back out with a uh, rifle and he gives it to us. He's hmm. like, you need a firearm. <laughs> so then he helps us look, showed us what we should do. And right away we were uh, panning little specks of gold and He's showing us how to capture. I mean, we had watched videos and stuff, so we knew a little bit what to do, but uh, we didn't know that it was a good spot because it was our first time looking. So we're finding a lot of nice little specks and uh, we decided we're gonna go find a better spot, not knowing that that was probably the best spot on the claim, but uh, it was fun, I guess, when we, we went and trying to come up with our own creative ways on why there'd be gold where it is. and Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every every time we went there, we found gold. Though, <laughs> was that neat though? Like I picture it'd be like a little kid, like finding gold. It's like finding the treasure chest or yeah. whatever. Even if, even if it's a not a huge <clears throat> huge dollar amount, it'd still be a a neat feeling. Yeah, we would it, we'd we'd work all day, and there'd be like sometimes two of us, sometimes four of us, and we'd work all day, and we might find like ten bucks worth of gold or whatever. Yeah. But we would be hooting and hollering, yeah. and uh, people across the river thought we were striking it rich because we're celebrating our ten dollar piece of gold we found yeah yeah no that's neat so then you you worked up there and <clears throat> instantly you were like this is this is awesome and this is neat what was it about it about it that uh was so neat was it the landscape was it the people was it was it everything well it's everything like the landscape uh you're in you got the mountains the rivers the, it's so it's such a big land and on the road system, sometimes it feels smaller when you still get to see bits of the big land, but trying to get off the road system and like the gold claim, uh, we weren't that far off the highway. And, uh, but you're camping in the mountains and then there's characters everywhere you go. I think whether you're in Michigan or Alaska, you're gonna find characters. But up there, there's there's an excess of them. Like, the, like people like Jula the Hungarian, uh, comes from Hungary and he's living in the mountains panning for gold and I can't imagine he made a very good living at it but he loved what he did and uh, he said he'd catch flack from whatever his friends his or wife's friends like they they would say why do why does she let him do that and uh, she, and we met her too we went to his house one day but she uh, she said he just loves gold mining and living in the mountains and so you look at a guy like, I mean, above middle age, sleeping on the front seat of his pickup truck in the mountains. Most people wouldn't choose to do that, but he he loved it. That was and so you meet people like that, and uh, he was real intimidating looking, but he would always come by to give us pieces of the cake his wife made, and uh, nicest guy in the world, but. You wouldn't ever meet anyone like that unless you're out in the mountains camping because he isn't going to be in town and he isn't going to talk to a guy he runs into in the grocery store. Even when we were there, like we were there for a while before he became friends with us. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah, it's a slow, yeah, you, you maintain a slow relationship or, or yeah, you, you almost have to prove yourself and show that you're cut from the same cloth before they'll respect you and want to engage with you. Yeah, and he's just the the type who i mean they're out there but they're not looking for 
they're not the type who are just going to strike up a conversation with a stranger. They're going to avoid you. They're going to they keep to themselves. So you meet a lot of those type of characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I think we'll, I want to dive into that later, but then thinking about Alaska and flying, did you fly it all that first time up there? I mean, of course, uh, more people have planes than cars in Alaska. That might be an exaggeration, but it's a, it's a part of the culture for sure. But were you exposed to it then? So when I went up there, I told everyone, I'm going to be a pilot someday. And some of my friends would laugh at me or some of them probably believed it. I don't know. And, uh, when we got there, I, every time, like if I had lunch, if I'm working in the campground, I had a half hour for lunch, I would take my vehicle and I would drive to the airport and I'd eat my lunch sitting by the airport fence and I'd watch airplanes take off and land. So this was in Saldana and, uh, <clears throat> there's a small airport there, a lot of small planes in and out. So they're half a mile away, a quarter mile away, planes taking off and landing and I'm sitting there eating my lunch. So the other people that we worked with in the campground, they thought it was funny. So they bought me a hat that said uh, Bush Pilot on it. And I was like, yeah, someday I'm going to be a pilot. And well, we, so by the end of the summer, then we did, we called up uh, a flight seeing tour and uh, got a ride on an airplane. And there was, there must've been three, three of three, three guys. And then two of our friends from Michigan flew up there and, uh, so there, yeah, there must've been five of us in the plane in a Cessna 207, I believe. And then, uh, that was my first, first airplane ride and we all got sick. It was real bumpy and every, I, all of us, except for one, I think threw up hmm. and, uh, we flew over the gold claim, took pictures and took pictures of the campsite, but I was going, I know I want to be a pilot, but now I'm going, I don't know if I can do it. Cause I threw up and, uh. So that was kind of a concern of mine, but I still knew I was going to fly someday. And then, yeah, I didn't, I didn't start flying then till it was many years after that. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 19 or 20 then. And then about, I think I was 26 or something when I started flying. Okay. Did you have uh, Alaska trips between those two ages from 20 to 26? No. Uh, so I dreamed of it and I talked about it and anyone who knew me or whatever, I would, I'd talk about going to Alaska, but there was when I started off. So when I went to Alaska, it was between college and the police academy. Then I became a police officer. Well, when you start around here as a police officer, you have to work all the time, uh, weekends, holidays, nights. It's, it's a hard schedule. And, uh, you don't have any vacation. It's hard. Like you just couldn't go. It'd be hard to go in your first few years in, in your career as a police officer. Seems like now maybe it's changing a little bit where nobody wants to be a police officer. So there's more benefits when you are, or they have to treat you better. Mm -hmm. It's not as uh competitive, I guess. It's hard to get hired full time initially because there's so many people and not many jobs, but yeah, so it took a while before I went back. But since I went back, then I, I go every year and sometimes two or three times a year. Uh, yeah, usually I would fly commercially. And then I've done two trips with my airplane flying up there. I just, where I could take a, I work a lot of overtime and then take time off instead of, so it's basically time off without pay, but where I can take a month off and go mm -hmm. and then. Yeah. So flown with, uh, my friend Rob up there, 
He has a plane similar to mine. We fly the same speed. Uh, we have real similar, uh, basically tastes in everything. So we, we like to avoid the crowds, avoid the cities, avoid people. We like going out in the mountains, camping, fishing. Uh, he's real adventurous with, uh, we have similar personalities, I guess. So it, we flew up there, uh, took a month off of work and that was our big, something I had, I think I had said when I was young that someday I'm going to have an airplane and I'm going to fly it to Alaska. So maybe, I don't know if I call it a bucket list, but a checklist of things that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the major ones. And that would have been, uh, 2017, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. There's many, yeah, again, uh, many, many ways to go from here. Um, I heard it said, and, and, and you can answer it quickly. We can move on. At one point, wasn't it true that you had wanted to be a police officer, an army guy, a firefighter and a pilot, and you ended up being all of those things? Yeah, there was one other one in there. What was the fifth? <laughs> uh, I wanted I wanted to be an EMT also, which I never became a full EMT. I was a first medical first responder. So you with Alway Township, you, they respond to all the ambulance calls. And then as a police officer, when I started in Cuna County, all the police officers in Cuna County, all the deputies there were first responders. So you'd respond to all the medical calls too. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. And I said it like a little kid, like a policeman, whatever else, because I'm thinking yeah. about being the little kid and then eventually yeah. doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I don't know what age it was. I knew I wanted to be a police officer since I was, ever since I can remember, probably five years old. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember when I said that, but I know I did say that. And then over the years, it's come up a bunch of times where the the things little kids want to do, like I'm a dreamer. Right. So little kids, these like jobs that you'd read about in a, what I read books about to me, like be exciting and so, yeah, those were the things. Yeah, things I wanted to do and set out and did them. Mm -hmm. I almost didn't. I almost didn't become a soldier. I was going to join when I was. I thought I'd join when I was eighteen, but I went right into college. And then, uh, so then after I started my career, I'm going. Well, I never did that one. So I would have been in my late twenties. I think twenty eight. I. It's like, I'm, I need to do this. And I walked into the recruiter's office and said, what do I got to do to join the National Guard? Because I knew I could do that and still keep my job. And then, so I joined the National Guard. And I did that for, uh, I just signed up for three years. I didn't need, you need, you got to sign up for more if you want benefits and stuff. But I didn't need that. I was already done with college. I didn't plan on going back. So I just signed up for three years. And then after the three, I said, I'll do one at a time until I don't want to anymore. Yeah. And I, I was in there for five years and then decided it was enough. There wasn't, there wasn't really a chance we were going to go anywhere anymore. Everyone was, they're pulling everyone out of Afghanistan at that point. So I was mm -hmm. like, ah, the training was real good. And I, you, I met some really awesome people, lifelong friends. I'm sure the, uh, but didn't uh, follow as doing was training. I decided ah, I'm going to get out. Yeah. So yeah. It's hard to do all those things at once. Yeah, for sure. No, it's neat though that you went out and did it. The, uh, and then I feel like you could tie it all into the adventurous mindset. Have you always been an adventurer? Like even as a young kid, were you the type that at a picnic you were gone in the woods and your 
siblings were hanging out in the in the playground. Yeah. Oh uh, well. Yeah, most of my siblings probably were also out in the woods. Yeah. Right. They, <laughs> yeah, we. From when I was little, it seemed like I had a real good imagination. So I, if I can still think back to when I was, I mean, probably six, seven, eight years old, and out in the woods, just my imagination. I'm. I, I would be imagining I'm somewhere else on some grand adventure 200 years ago or something. It mm -hmm. was, yeah, just a dreamer and up for adventure always. Yeah. I was thinking about that last night. The <clears throat> That might be a common theme or maybe that's just something I am engaged in and also interested in. So I find people that are like-minded, but it seems like it's a fairly common thing. Is that a genetic thing? Like I'm saying, all our immigrants, all the people that came from Europe had to have been the type that were a little bit of renegades. Like to, to load up, you never watch a YouTube video, never look at a picture and say, hey, we're moving west to this unknown. Like that's extreme, but is that a genetic thing that the type to do that is who's here currently? Yeah, I mean, how do you know, I guess? Uh, the If you think of all of our ancestors and um, I mean, people like, uh, Oscar Karenin or whatever he, he was a bush pilot in Alaska but most of them it seemed like a lot of them were in the served in the military and they get out and they some of them just I don't know if they settled down on a farm they probably still had great adventures and uh, big families and but like he he bought an airplane was living in Alaska uh, so a lot of ancestors who seem like they're real adventurous and think come from Finland, hop on a boat and come to Calumet to uh, mine, what, mine for copper. Or, and then they all, most of them turn into farmers, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. and some of them work in the mine and a lot of the Finlanders started their farms. And So maybe it's in our blood. Yeah. Although as we, th as we say that, there are a lot of Finlanders or, or people in the area that are settled here and have no interest on leaving or going anywhere. Maybe they go on grand adventures locally, but no, no thoughts of heading west or going to Alaska or going on these these big trips. Yeah, and I guess the reason why I'm still here would be probably the reason why they're here. Yeah, would be their families are here, so yeah, that's why I didn't move. Yeah, the I, I mean I love it in I love it in the UP, but it, I've said if without family here I would be out west or in alaska in the mountains somewhere not that i wish for anything different like it's awesome to be here but for sure it's a the, the draw of that huge landscape is hard to deny yeah yeah when i was uh, a senior me levi and jed were supposed to go to alaska right at the end of the school year and a weekend before we decided to uh, that we're not going to alaska i went to north dakota we chose the the safe route uh at one point so I've never been to Alaska at one point in my, I, I, I had quit college. All my interest was in business and sales. And I was trying to do sales and I had applied for a job in North Dakota at a car dealership. I was going to do car sales just to get better at communicating, working with people. I was waiting a week and a half to hear back from this dealership. And I told our friend Wes that if they don't call me back today with a job, I'm going to Alaska tomorrow. They'd been a week and a half, hadn't heard nothing. Two hours later, I got a call from them saying, Hey, when do you want to come work? So it's been like a, a repeated thing where I've been trying to get there, trying to get there and haven't done it. And I was taking the safe route. 
I did the same thing with Garrett Impala on the bike ride. I did the safe route, didn't go on the bike ride. So I, I have that draw. I have the desire and I've gone on cool trips, but I feel like it's neat to a guy like Garrett or a guy like you that instead of taking the safe route and saying, Hey, let's make money. You actually go on the trip at potentially a detriment of financial, you know? Yeah. I plan, uh, for the people who know me, I might plan 12 grand adventures and they're, I might be talking about what I, what I'm going to do or want to do. And out of the 12, only a couple of them might happen. Sure. So I always have plans. I have fun planning it. I haven't gone on every grand adventure that I planned. Yeah. So maybe it's just me from the outside. Again, I'm looking, thinking, why don't I go on these? And I, for sure, certainly I've gone on trips and gone out of the country and hunting trips and stuff too. So maybe it's a similar thing, uh, being a dreamer and a grand adventurer that you go on two out of every 10 or something like that. But the fact that you go, I think is what it's, what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but tying it into Alaska again, you had gone six years. You had talked about it probably to the point of annoying people finally got to go back. What was that like? Well, I don't remember the year that I went back finally, but it was, it was a long time later and I was going, why haven't I come here every single year? Uh, cause I enjoy it so much and, it's not that unaffordable to be able to buy a plane ticket and go up there. And I've always known people up there, places to stay, uh, good friends who had houses who let me stay in the basement or, well, now a brother who lives up there. So always somewhere to stay. So if you want to do it affordably, I always could have. And, uh, I mean, it can get expensive when you're, if you're renting cars and that, but I could usually hitch a ride and, but going back, I, I regretted not going every single year in between Mm -hmm. and then since then i haven't missed i don't think and more than usually more than once a year okay and i need to get there i've talked with my wife that we need to get there it just it seems like a whole nother world like you can't even can you even describe it <laughs> not really just like when you're in the mountains out west or i should flying out west so flying to alaska you cross a bunch of different worlds on your way there so when you're going across farmland or the plains or the badlands or you get into canada and you're in the canadian rockies to alaska i mean there's so many things up there they they have a ton of there's many worlds up there too mm -hmm. you get into alaska and go the prince william sound uh we have a friend in Whittier, uh, has a camp there. We go fishing on his boat out of Whittier uh, with Roy. Mm -hmm. And you pull out there and you go, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Uh, it's kind of maybe like rainforesty looking. Uh, it's usually foggy. It rains a lot there. But you're out in the ocean, there's whales and seals and sea lions and stuff you'd never it's that that is a whole different part of alaska too that you wouldn't see if you're in on the more like around the matsu valley or something you won't even think that a couple hours away there's the prince william sound mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 huge landscapes the the book have you read coming into the country by john mcphee or heard of it no i have not okay Anyways, it's a, it's a whole book about Alaska. I think you'd enjoy it. Random little excerpts and things like Julie from Seldotna bought a 
car today. I mean, just random crazy things. But anyways, and it gets into a lot of different things. But one of the things is there was a guy from Chicago moving to Alaska. His coworker asked him, why on earth would you move there? And his response was, if you have to ask that question, you'll never understand. So it feels like it's like a bigger a bigger thing than, or it's like a, a theme and a bigger thing than just, uh, I guess, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say? It feels yeah. like it's just like this whole nother world, whole nother environment, atmosphere, everything. So it, like how you're thinking about you want to go there, or how I go want to go there every year and go back, keep going back. It draws like our type of people up there. The people, I mean, the more self-sufficient, adventurous types they end up there they're drawn to it because the big country and the opportunities for hunting and fishing and i mean world-class hunting world-class fishing you might not be able to hunt mule deer but Mm -hmm. i think uh the black tails are they a type of mule deer maybe potentially i think there's yeah speculation or maybe it's not speculation but that a a mule deer is a cross between a white tail and a black tail um, I don't know that that's been solidified, but either way, there's certainly a, probably a relation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a similar, similar way maybe of hunting them, except, uh, you're going to be in, you're going to be in the mountains probably instead of, uh, like the badland type areas. Right. Right. Yeah. And I've, yeah, certainly had friends and seen guys that have done that. That'd be, that'd be interesting for sure. Um, what was the progression? Okay. You finally went back to Alaska how many times or what was the progression from that to beginning to start flying? Uh, I think I actually had started, I think I already was a pilot when I went back. Okay. And then, uh, when I went there still in the back of my head, I'm going, I'm going to do this someday, but it seemed kind of out of reach the, uh, to take that much time off and it takes a lot of money and which I never have. Cause I, spend it all on airplanes and airplane gas the rest i waste right and the uh so not being able to afford it not being able to have the time that just kind of seemed out of reach but then uh i went flying with uh my friend rob so we were just flying locally around here and i think i told him that i'm gonna do this someday and uh he's married with kids and i didn't think that it was going to be a possibility that he could and uh he said, oh, I've always wanted to do that too. And then we just started planning it and said, yep, we're going to go. <laughs> started planning it and say, so, yeah, he's a more th- like organized person than I am. So he had a, he had a real thorough plan on how to get there where I was more like, I don't know, point the compass Northwest and fly in that direction and kind of make it up as we go. Mm-hmm. So he did kind of a, a mix between both of our ideas of what we'd want want to happen and and we both like if we both picked what we wanted to do separate from each other and then talked about it it'd be basically the same thing so we didn't have to really worry about he likes to do one thing i like to do another and then have conflict it was no matter what we picked it was we both agreed usually right right so the uh i guess so you were a pilot before you went back to alaska I want to get to the beginning of you flying eventually. What was that like or what were what was the actual events and what were the feelings like of beginning that flying experience? I guess uh <clears throat> I was waiting till I could afford it and then uh I ran into famous pilot locally, DNR pilot Neil. I ran into him and I I told him, "Yeah, I was wanting to be a pilot, but 
I'm just waiting until I can afford it. And he said, if you're waiting until you have enough time until you can afford it, you're never going to do it. You'll never have the time or the money. So you just got to start. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Not really thinking that I could still do it. And he goes, well, give me your number and I'll take you flying. So he's looking at me, kind of, I'm waiting for him to pull out like a pen and a paper, or pull out his phone to type my number in. So still looking at me i'm like okay here's my number i tell it to him he kind of nods i'm like ah he's never gonna call me yeah Yeah, i just told my number he didn't write it down right and uh so walk away and it was like two months later he calls me and uh he just memorized numbers if you tell him so he calls me up and goes you want to go flying like absolutely went up to the airport and it was super windy that day and i still didn't know like uh it isn't always like this, but we got up there and it was real rough. And uh, he he let me fly and he's like, point it towards the airport. So I point the nose towards the airport and the wind would blow us way off course. <laughs> and I, I couldn't figure out how to adjust, which looking back now, that seems real simple. But at the time, I just couldn't do it. And I'm going, man, I don't know if I could, I can learn how to fly an airplane. I can't even point it in one direction and fly it that way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what we got back, and he gave me the number to uh, a friend of his, who now a friend of mine, but Joe, my flight instructor. And then so I called Joe, said, I want to learn how to fly. And he said, oh, I'll teach you. And I think we did one flight that year. And uh, I don't know what happened, probably me not having money or making excuses. And then the next year we, we started the lessons and, I did the majority of them in probably about six months. And when we're talking about how much it costs and not being able to afford it, it's about equal to at this, at that time, it was equal to about a semester of college. Hmm. So you think like six, eight grand to get your pilot's license, uh, 40 hours of flying time, which that's the minimum. When I hit 40 hours, I wasn't ready to take my test yet. So I went, I flew maybe 60 hours, uh, so when people think, can I afford to do this or could I become a pilot? It's, uh, yeah, for me, spread out over about six months and spent yeah less than probably is at that time under six grand. Yeah. So fairly achievable beyond what you initially would have thought, hey? Yeah. And then yeah. can you buy an airplane? I thought, well, there's no way I can afford an airplane. And then you start looking, uh, talking to people who know and to get a good airplane for 30 grand or 40 grand, 20, 30, 40 grand there. Instead of buying a new pickup, a person could buy an airplane. I mean, obviously there's more, uh, maintenance and stuff, but an, an average person with an average job, if that's their priority in life could afford to do it. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, it's neat to have something like that where again, to fit the obsessed theme at a detriment to other areas of your life, you focus on that and, and put your funds towards that and your energy towards that. I, I don't know. I, other people could look at it as detrimental. I mean, I said the word detriment, it's a detriment to other areas of your life, but I think that's what makes life interesting. Yeah. So when I bought an airplane and, uh, I bought a piece of property, I said, I'm going to build an airport here. I'm going to live on my own airport. Well then I can't afford to buy a house now, but I have the property and an airplane. So I picked up a trailer for free. And it was rough. Uh, I like I had to join. I joined a gym <laughs> so that I could shower. 
uh, go to the gym, made me go to the gym every day. So I'd either friends, whatever, light their saunas and whatever, be able to clean up that way. But I didn't really have running water in there. Yeah. Or heat. This is pretty cold in the wintertime. Yeah. Lived in that trailer for a year. And then uh, I saw another house trailer, like mobile home for sale. And it was for sale for a dollar. Yeah. I'm like, well, this one's probably better than the one I'm living in. So I went there and I looked at it and it was, I was like, yeah, this is nice. I'll buy it and move it myself. My dad had a dump truck, so hook it up to that. Well, I went to pay the lady and uh, all I had was a five. Huh. So I gave her $5. I was like, you can keep the change. She goes, no, this, it ain't worth $5. Yeah. <laughs> so she went and found me four ones. And uh, then I lived in that for a bunch of years. And uh, so sacrifice other things in order to, to be able to do this. And uh, yeah, living in a trailer house wasn't whatever with the mice. But now whatever, I'd be able to, I built a house a couple years ago on the same property. So yeah, no longer living in the trailer right? where the mosquitoes would get in there and have to set up a, t I don't know if I should admit to all yeah. this stuff. <laughs> set up a tent on my bed so that uh the mosquitoes wouldn't get me yeah <laughs> i learned that trick from a friend who would be mad if i called him out on this i think yeah. he also lived in a trailer and i was like the mosquitoes get in there and i can't sleep and he's like well i said i set up a tent yeah and, uh, <laughs> like that's a good idea so i can't take credit for coming up with the idea but yeah as people laugh at me i'm like well you can laugh at me but i was sleeping nice and peacefully as the mosquitoes buzzed me to sleep outside of my uh tent netting yeah yeah the little white noise yeah yeah <laughs> no i don't know it's just neat you uh, yeah that again is what makes life interesting i think being all in on something or, or being so engaged that that's the priority and let's make this happen and that might be what it takes sometimes to do the grand alaska trips or the flying or being a pilot something like that hard hard to make it happen if you're halfway or a third of the way into it yeah yeah, yeah non-conventional uh choices i guess and then it helps that whatever good luck bad luck i don't know what you'd call it but staying single or whatever i didn't end up w without having other responsibilities i can i can make poor choices and it only affects me kind of mm -hmm. poor or good, potentially I, but good i say I, that know, jokingly yeah, right yeah good decisions but yeah and uh <clears throat> so when you started flying though was it was it at all utility like you're thinking man i just want to fly so that i can be able to go to alaska or was it more the excitement of flying and the adventurous side of flying probably more the adventure uh i wanted to be able to fly places as part of the adventure but i also want to fly nowhere like I'll go flying and I don't have a destination. And if I see something shiny and I go fly towards it, uh, I'll take off with no, no clue. I'll, I know how much fuel I have and I'll say, I might be up here for an hour. I might be up here for four hours I, and just go flying. And there's no, there's no destination and like the, the freedom of it. And it wasn't, yeah, I would say more for the, more for the adventure and okay not I, I didn't plan on getting a job doing it i did think about getting jobs and maybe someday i will but uh 
yeah, I just wanted to fly just to fly. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like you had any doubts early on that you knew you were going to fly, but at what point was it like, this is it? Like, I'm super pumped that I did this. Was it right away or did it take a few times to get through the nerves or what was it where you were, this is it? Well, I had my doubts on whether I could do it. Like I started when I, like I said, with Neil and I couldn't even steer the plane towards the airport. And then, uh, the, when I threw up, that was the only time I've ever thrown up in an airplane when I had my first flight in Alaska. Uh, so I had my doubts and I started flying and then, uh, I, I think it was Neil who told me every student pilot hits a point where they think they don't, they can't do it. Hmm. And, uh, he goes, just keep taking lessons until you can. And so I just kept that in the back of my head. So I'd be flying along and maybe like, I don't know, the, the fear of not being able to do it. Or sometimes I like, you're looking outside the airplane and I would just feel kind of panicky and I'm going, I don't know if I can overcome this. Hmm. And, uh, so I'm just going to keep taking lessons till I can. And then the day that I got to solo, I was flying with Joe. I, it all came together. It, it was coming together the day before I was able to, I was getting my landings down and, uh, we we're going up doing emergency procedures. So like if I had an emergency while I soloed, I, th- I knew I could recover from it. And, uh, so the day that I was going to solo, we we were doing touch and goes on the runway and it, it just all came together and I knew I could do it. And I, I kind of knew I was going to be able to solo that day because hmm. I, whatever grease every landing and uh we went back to the fuel pumps and joe jumps out of the plane and he says run inside and check the weather or something he he had me do something just to distract me Mm -hmm. and then he went out to the plane and he took a couple uh like loosened a couple cowl screws and did a couple things and then i came back out and he says all right uh you're gonna solo pre-flight the airplane hmm. and then you're gonna solo well if i didn't catch the things that he did i want to solo but so i went around the plane found the things that he did uh, he said all right you're good to go you're gonna solo and uh probably one of the best mo- like best feeling moments of my life would have been when i took off there's uh neil came by joe must have called him let him know that i was going to be soloing and there's like a little crowd gathered hmm. and go up and do three touch and goes on the runway solo. And I remember the first time I took off that you're, you're much lighter because the instructor, you've just been doing a bunch of takeoffs and landings with an instructor with you. And all of a sudden the plane is a much lighter when he gets out. So it jumped off the runway real fast. And that feeling when you're first flying, you look at the seat next to you and there's no one sitting there and you go, it's all up to me. Hmm. No one else is here. And that feeling, I remember it was like fist pumping through the air, going, I'm flying an airplane. Right. And then my touch and goes. And then, yeah, hard to describe that, that feeling. When you hear other pilots talk about their first solo, most everyone has a similar experience where you'll remember that forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives me the chills hearing about it. Obviously, I can't relate. I haven't ever flown an airplane or, or <clears throat> even even been in a small one. But it's, uh, yeah, just that feeling of freedom and, and seven years or however long you, I mean, or however long you did it and all this training and then finally you're off on your own doing it. That, that had to have been crazy. Yeah. And then as a student pilot, I bought my airplane. Well, 
so talking to people at the airport there was no there was no real like what people kind of describe as a bush plane you have maybe some cessna 172s like neil harry could fly his airplane better than uh he put in places that people couldn't bring a piper cub into probably hmm. uh but to to get a plane that's capable of the short field takeoff short field landings for landing in a farm field uh i knew that's what i wanted but i didn't know exactly that that's what i wanted and uh working as a police officer they used to have a deputy station at the airport all the time so i had that duty for a little while i was sitting there and a guy flew in in a Aronka champ who i'm still friends with today so he flies in and he walks in through the wrong door so secure is a secure area he was looking for the general aviation door and accidentally walks in through the wrong door so I go stop him like hey you can't come in here you gotta go whatever so I escort him back to the general aviation side and we I see his airplane so we go walk and look at it and we start I'm admiring his plane and he's like I just landed on the beach out by Frida <laughs> and uh I'm thinking you can do that so as we're talking I'm like this I'm looking for an airplane I'm a student pilot and uh say this is what I need something like this and uh so we start talking about how much they cost and I'm like, well, where can you find any for sale? So we start talking about where they're for sale. And then he goes, Hey, I got, I'll give you some numbers for the cub club down in Hartford, Wisconsin. That's where he is from. So gives me the number for some guys who, so I started looking at airplanes and I would send them pictures of these airplanes I'm looking at. And then hmm. they would send me what they think. They'd be like, well, I wouldn't buy this one because of this or seems high priced or and then uh, I went down there to take some tailwheel instruction. They have some J3 Cubs. And the, at that point, I fell in love with Piper Cubs. Hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting a Piper Cub, whatever it takes. That's kind of, I mean, I would have loved to fly a champ also, but just the Cubs have an appeal to me that uh, for my tailwheel instruction there. And then I bought a Piper PA-12 Super Cruiser, hmm. which... Uh, it's set up like a super cub it's not a super cub but the uh has every you can modify them to uh so mine has flaps it has super cub landing gear has a super cub tail it originally had a smaller motor so it's about as close to a super cub as you could get without it actually being one and then mine fits uh, i say two and a half passengers it's legally a three-seater or a super cub you have two seats only okay but so it's like a fatter super cub hmm. and uh i bought that as a student pilot from a guy in indiana who he was his story is pretty cool too so he's an engineer successful guy has it runs a successful engineering business but he wants to be a bush pilot in alaska hmm. so he sells his airplane to me so that he can afford to get the ratings that it requires to get a job in alaska and he's still flying up there today as a bush pilot unreal no, not engineering at all. I mean, no. he's just a bush pilot. He's and, a bush pilot in Alaska. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's the plane I still have today or one of the planes I still have today. Yeah. And many things have, we've done a lot of work to it since I bought it from him, but that's the one that I've flown to Alaska twice. <laughs> and has flying... Of course, it's probably hard to recreate the the extreme feeling of the first time flying, but you've 
I mean, it's, it's a big part of your life to this day and it, it has been ever since you started, right? I mean, you fly fairly yeah. consistently. Yeah, for sure. And when you have bad weather and like December and January are probably the, the toughest months to fly around here because it just snows every day and it's overcast. You get north of Chassel and it's overcast. The clouds are low. I mean, yesterday the wind was blowing over 50 miles an hour. I mean, it's just bad weather. So you start, when you don't fly, like I haven't flown in probably pushing a month almost. It would have been beginning of January, I think, last time I flew. You start feeling like you have having withdrawals. Mm -hmm. You just need to get up, go flying. Yeah. Do you uh, initially and currently, do you look forward to it with, uh, like I'm just picturing myself, like if, if I get into something, I once I get engaged in it, I have a hard time like letting it go. Like I play basketball once a week, every Wednesday. When I get done with it, I think about that till the next Wednesday. Like I look forward to it. Like you just a crazy amount. Anyways, is it similar with flying? Like do you just yeah. look forward to it and just anxious to get out and just, yeah, really excited about it. Yeah. And then, so like the friends of mine who fly, uh, we'll be messaging each other like, Hey, uh, when are you off next? When are trying to plan Like we'll take, say, I'll, I'll take a couple pounds of moose burger and we're going to meet up somewhere in the middle of nowhere. That's not really an airstrip mm -hmm. and we're going to cook lunch or maybe they're going to, they call me and they say, I'm buying brats today. We're good, whatever. Mm -hmm. So you're looking forward to those trips. Uh, -huh. then still the grand adventures of like, we're planning another Alaska trip, uh, probably be this summer, early summer. Uh, or the first time putting skis on the plane, ski flying, to, or getting my float rating and putting buying floats. Hmm. Uh, seems like every year there's things that are similar to a first solo. Nothing probably quite compares. Yeah. But like, I picture, yeah, the first time flying on skis, the first time taking off a, on a lake, the first time solo on the floats and you're flying to some remote place that you can't get to with a vehicle and i landed on this lake in wisconsin pulled up to this island and you can't hear anything there's no cars there's no way to get there i mean maybe there's a trail or something if i knew the area or someone could take an atv or something but just go to the middle of nowhere and so there's like those kind of things that mm -hmm. still happen and yeah so incremental steps in, in hunting, it's the same thing that I, so it fits the adventure theme. Like when we head out West every year, I try to push the envelope to new ground, you know, now we're into backpack hunting or whatever else, just always trying to find that next level to always be growing and, and just add a, a level of, yeah, just another level to whatever you're doing. You, you've done that in, in flying as well. You've gotten floats and skis and stuff like that. What, what, what are those experiences like? Well, mm -hmm. Ski flying is uh, real similar to wheel flying. The plane still flies the same. You just don't have brakes. Okay. And then you got to learn how to fly in gray light or flat light because coming in, you can't always judge depth mm -hmm. when it's real on a flat light day. So you learn how to do what they call a glassy water approach with float flying is the same with ski flying. And uh, And then being able to fly, there's so many lakes up in the Kuna that you can land on. And, uh, yeah, it just, it opens up a new world of flying. Mm -hmm. 
and then we'd go out like land out at slaughter's island and light a fire and cook hot dogs and or there's a little lake on manitou island perch lake i think that's called <laughs> go land out there and there's nobody i mean there's nobody for miles or isle royal the park is closed you can't go on the island but mm. the waterways under coast guard rules so <laughs> go land in a bay one of the bays that you're allowed to land in not i think when you're out there besides like they have their moose count people or wolf people but i've never seen them out there i've hmm. seen signs of them so you're that's hundreds of square miles without a single person besides yourself yeah right but does that fit the theme like the you said that you're reliving in in different ways that is that what it is that why it is is that why you're getting skis is that why you're getting close just to have new new levels or, or somewhat recreate that initial feeling i don't think i'm i don't think i'm trying to recreate anything okay or not uh i don't know you just dream of being able to go do these things and go fly these places and do this and i don't i don't think of it for it that i'm doing it for any reason except right. it's a dream to do it mm -hmm. so yeah. Do you have a desire or do you think you ever would move up to Alaska full-time? Uh, I've thought about it. Mm -hmm. I've almost moved up there a couple times, but being whatever whole family lives around here, kind of have it made around here. Uh, I still can scratch the itch a few times a year going up there commercially or flying up there from here. I talk about I'm currently trying to uh, rebuild a plane right now is a maybe I, when i'm done with it i might fly it up there and leave it there so i always have a plane up there and who knows what we'll do in the next several years but family lives here so that's why i live here yeah and it is cool around here uh there's almost nowhere else in the world that uh is like Mich upper michigan yeah to say even on the general aviation side there's uh not that many airplanes up here when i go flying i don't see any other airplanes i don't see anybody if you're at the airport it's super rare to see another airplane taking off or landing same time as me mm -hmm. but you go other places and well even in alaska and it's just like i say alaska it's a hornet's nest of airplanes all over the place and you're keeping your eyes peeled so you don't fly into one of them and hmm. it's it's uh it's kind of unique up here too and Maybe I shouldn't brag about how awesome it is because more people might come here and overcrowd us. Yeah. But it's, uh, I say that jokingly. Yeah. It's, there's still a lot of remote adventure stuff you can do here mm -hmm. that you can't, that's hard to do in other states. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it is awesome around here for sure. It just curious if you had that, that draw. The, <clears throat> so flying locally, you've got, a few people have you helped a few people get into flying i know there's a few guys my age that have got into it have you been instrumental in helping them get into that as well uh i don't know i think some of them i've taken them flying and they said i'm gonna get it my pilot's license and like clark mm -hmm. uh he he did it i don't know he would have probably done it without my help yeah. maybe it pushes them to do it more or if they see oh if he can do it i can do it type of thing right or getting a taste of like just taking someone up for a ride and they're going this is one of the coolest experiences of my life i've heard that 
more than once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe they would have anyway. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, uh, led you, the world of flying has led you to meet some interesting folks. Hey, you said you're, are you, are you still connected with that, uh, club down in Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, well, you, yeah, you meet people all over the, all over the country and all over the world and you like between them and then there's a group online with the supercub.org guys. Mm-hmm. I go to their flyings once in a while. Uh, a bunch of them have come to my place and spent, they'll spend the night around Oshkosh time. And so you go anywhere in the country and just about, and I could pick out somebody I know hmm. who, if you call them up and said, Hey, I'm in your state or I'm in your town and they would come to the airport and pick you up and buy you dinner or hmm. give you a place to stay. So yeah, you, you meet all kinds of cool people. And like the, when I say like the jewel of the Hungarian on the gold claim, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people like him who fly airplanes who just, they might do stuff that doesn't make sense to other people right. or like non-conventional living. Yeah. And they're, but they, I mean like the super Johns building airplanes in their living rooms and then have to take a wall out because it doesn't fit out the door. Right. Uh, to some people that doesn't make sense to me. It does make sense. Yeah. Uh, so you meet a lot of them and to be, I don't know, like great friendships that you would have never had if you didn't fly airplanes, you wouldn't meet those people. Right. Like you pass by them in a grocery store and they're not going to, you're not going to become good friends with them because you pass by in a grocery store. But yeah, when, yeah, a lot of great friends from flying. Yeah. Yeah. You all have a shared common bond and it's really a, <clears throat> a huge array of backgrounds, right? I mean, you're talking millionaires to guys bootstrapping it to a high end this or whatever. I mean, just a, a total huge array of backgrounds all coming together over this one common bond of flying. Eh? Yeah. And, and you wouldn't know most times you wouldn't know the millionaires. Right. So like the guys who f- they fly into my house and land and we're cooking moose burgers out there and they're setting up an air mattress on the floor and guy's elbow and he's like hey do you know who that guy is i'm like well no like, yeah. and then they start explaining his how successful he is but it's like he doesn't say it or no one says it. it's just love flying go flying right and then you have like i don't think anyone who well yeah the the guy who like myself who maybe you don't have a lot of money but still if it's a priority you can still afford a pretty nice airplane mm-hmm. i mean just working an average full-time job right yeah <clears throat> and you had spent uh did you you'll have to you'll have to tell me the whole story did you make did you make it onto an alaska gold rush show or something uh, like that what was that yeah i don't know i might have signed i i'd assigned some stuff in case i got on the show i think probably like i don't know if i'm allowed to promote it or talk about it, i'll talk about it anyway okay the uh yeah me and so rick ness is, so senior is uh from michigan and we met just flying around the up he has a super cub similar airplanes similar tastes became good friends while well, we're talking about um, i was planning another trip to alaska he heard about it he said oh i always want to do it like why don't you come with me at this time uh it wasn't in the cards for rob to go yet uh so Rick and I planned a trip. He said his son is like the main character of the Gold Rush show. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so little Rick, no, they, they, on the claim, they were joking because he's a real big guy mm-hmm. and, uh, young Rick. But when they call him little Rick, just try to make fun of him a little bit, joke, like his friends would call him that. Yeah. But we flew up there, landed on the gold claim and, uh, spent a close, I think we spent a week there and, uh, followed the gold rush crew around filming. Hmm. And, uh, so there wasn't really anywhere in the story for me to fit in. I was just observing. But uh, I hauled some camera guys around in the in the plane, so we were filming both Ricks in Rick's plane from my plane. Huh. So I would I would say I'm pretty famous because you yeah. can see my elbow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were. Uh, well, I t- and then the director was there, and he, he kind of picked up on my sense of humor. So I was like kind of joking around he comes up to me he goes you know we're trying to get you on the show but he goes you, you have a face more built for our podcast yeah. <laughs> so when i when i decided to come on your yeah. podcast i was thinking of that yeah he said i had a face for a podcast well yeah here we are yeah <laughs> so i didn't make it on the show but you can see my elbow from my when we're flying in my plane the camera guy is filming out my window yeah and we're f- kind of flying in formation and so season 10 episode three huh. i used to know how many minutes in because people didn't believe me i'd tell them i'm on there right and they'd watch it and they go no i didn't see yeah. you well, no, i'm definitely on there yeah. so i had the time like if you looked on whatever pulled it up on youtube or something yeah i think you see my you see my fist once too when i adjust the throttle yeah but, that's funny yeah so my elbow is famous <laughs> oh that's awesome So is that neat to watch those guys? I mean, you started off patterning for gold that first summer. Was it neat to see that? Oh, yeah. It's a totally different style because they're using excavators and bulldozers and stripping land. It's crazy amount of dirt they move. Uh, Them huge dump trucks, which I did get to work on it a little bit. So I was driving dump trucks around. And Hmm. uh, that was one of the cooler experiences of my life, too. So we get there and young Rick whatever he doesn't know me but i'm there with his dad and uh just like hey shows me to my room had my own room in the man camp type setup uh brand new buildings and Hmm. then he goes this is the chef and the chef cooks uh breakfast and dinner every day lunch you're on your own there's always leftovers in the fridge here's the sandwich stuff brings us outside he goes here's the motorbikes here's the mini bikes here's the side by sides and here's the pickups Hmm keys are in them that's the fuel tank fill them up when you're done free for your whatever so rick uh older rick rick senior him and i so we go jumping a side by side and we go rip around the mountains all day and then we'd go flying and come back and okay they're gonna film for a couple hours so i'd just follow the camera guys around and they're they're a bunch of brits so whatever they and they were the adventurous kind like if they're going to be out living on a gold claim filming the show they're the type who are just out there looking for adventures too mm-hmm. so real fun to be around and uh then they had some locals hired on too like the safety guy was he was a moose hunting guide <laughs> as his full-time job he ran a trap line he was like super interesting to talk to but they hire him as a safety guy to make sure no one gets run over by a dump truck or something. So it's like a little BS with him when the camera crews are filming because he's not really part of the show, just making sure no one gets hurt. Uh, so you meet, like, met a lot of cool people. The guy who owns the claim that they're on now, uh, him and his family, whatever, we'd 
they were the neighbor claim at the time, but we go BS with them and they're like, fly and land anytime. Uh, and the food, <laughs> I mentioned the chef, best food I ever ate probably. They go, breakfast would be pretty normal, like an omelet's an omelet probably, but excellent food. You sit, whatever, eat your breakfast and we go out all day. We come back in the evening and he'd have like three main courses in case he didn't like the other two. Yeah. So we'd load up a tray of food and going, and this is every day. Uh, so you ate some kind of lunch and then a tray of food with three main courses on it. There'd just be a heap. And because you're out going all day, you had a healthy appetite. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the food was unbelievable. Hmm. And you think you're out in the middle of nowhere. This is in uh, the in the in the Yukon of Canada. Yeah, in the mountains. So you're in some of the coolest land that I've ever seen. Like in the mountains in the Yukon, it's like Alaska. I mean, and really, we aren't far from the border. You're real close to the border, right there. And flying all over, landing on these rivers and. And then coming back to the best food you ever ate, like, yeah, that experience, yeah, you couldn't buy that anywhere. Right, yeah. And again, just all stemmed from the you being into flying and those connections that that just naturally yeah. brings forth, yeah. The So what's, do you have anything next adventures, next plans? What's uh, next in, the, in terms of Alaska, in terms of flying? What's What's next for you? Well, I don't know. Uh, just this winter we're going to be doing a lot of ski flying and we're hoping to say like the last month hasn't been that great for us just snowing every day not good flying weather but springtime the plan is Rick and I are going to fly up to the gold claim again hmm. so he'll probably be on the show and I'll be watching again mm -hmm. and if uh see if my elbow gets famous yeah uh, <laughs> we'll but with Canada and all the restrictions, but who knows what's going to happen with whether they allow me to do that or not to fly up there. Yeah. Otherwise, maybe I'll fly the coast up to Alaska. Haven't really decided, but we're we're planning an Alaska trip. We just don't have it nailed down. Mm -hmm. It'd probably be the best flying months up there, or like the driest months are probably like May and June for the least amount of rain, pretty decent weather. So you're less likely to get weathered in for a week. Uh, so we're planning probably around that time. Okay. Hmm. <clears throat> what about with flying? Any any uh, next steps there? You you know you've been increasing the and getting into floats and skis and stuff like that. Any you know not that you need to go for anything bigger and better, but I'm just curious. Any next steps there that you want to dive into? Yeah, I'd say I'm probably behind most people with the amount of hours I have and the ratings that I have. Like a lot of people, you hear they'll start flying and then they're like, well, I'll get my uh, commercial rating or my instrument rating or my instructor rating. And I, I haven't really gotten any ratings. I just fly a Piper Cub. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tell my friends I'm going to become an instructor someday. And there's some friends who say the second I get my instructor license, they'll start learning how to fly. Hmm. So there's a line of people who would do that. And I right. tell them, don't wait for me. Just go and do it. Yeah. They're like, nope. Or when you get it, I'll do it. Yeah. Well, I just keep putting it off because it takes money and time to do it. And then as soon as I have any money, I fly to Alaska or what, buy another airplane. Mm -hmm. And so it, I haven't gotten the ratings that I want to get. But in the future, 
I want to get my commercial instrument instructor rating, teach mm. people how to fly. Then, would that would that be pretty rewarding to be able to teach people and show people oh, and yeah. let them experience what you've experienced? Yeah, just taking people flying like you take a little kid flying and they're just in the back seat just grinning ear to ear and maybe the little kid is 30 years old but you land and they're the the times when you know like that made a big impact and you get to share that with somebody like that's a great feeling and i know i could do that with an instructor license too where take it a step further than just them getting to a little taste of flight now they could learn how to do it themselves mm-hmm. uh I know it would be rewarding and I'll, I'll do it someday, but time and money mm-hmm. and take Neil's advice and be like, well, if you wait till the time is right, the time will never be right. So I just got to do it one of these days, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you said, if, uh, if you wait till the time and money's right, it'll never happen, but just push it and make it happen. The, uh, <clears throat> I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me. I feel like I cut you off. Did you have one more thing on the, uh, the next steps on the flying that you were going to get into? Uh, uh, not really. Just, I was thinking when I, if I, so as a police officer, I started young, I could retire young. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to collect for a while, but I could get a retirement at some point. So I was thinking about retiring young someday mm-hmm. and, uh, maybe getting a flying job at that point. It's not a, it's just an option. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to do that. It just be. I've, I've, I've thought about it, discussed it with other people. Yeah. What it'd be like, like maybe if it was locally here, there's a couple type of jobs you could get, whether it be, I don't have the qualifications or yet, but having, I have enough hours now, almost people would hire me if Mm -hmm. I got the ratings and then, uh, maybe locally or seasonally in Alaska or something, go work for a lodge or Mm -hmm. something like that. It interests me, but. We'll see where my life is at when I hit the point where I could think about taking off or stopping my current career. And I, I love what I do now for work, so I don't want to give that up. It's just at some point. Yeah, something to think about. What, what would you think of ever being a, a seaplane pilot out to Isle Royale? Would that be interesting? Yeah. I mean, I fly mine out there all the time now right. in the summertime. and. uh yeah, they they look for someone with a lot of seaplane time, but say when it cut when it comes time for me to be looking for a flying job, I probably would be qualified for it at that point. Mm-hmm. It'd be something I would consider looking at, but I don't know if I'd be the right fit for them or not. Okay. And they work uh, no matter where you go. You're gonna if you have a flying job in the summertime, the time when you want to be off and going camping and going on these grand adventures but you get to work every single weekend and it's uh so there's other flying jobs where you could work like maybe a week on or week off and you have more time to go do your own flying i don't know if i want to work every single day this makes me sound lazy (laughs) work every single day of the summer right no i could work the same amount of hours just spread them out over a different period if i could Right. Yeah. Just to get more freedom yourself and also not to taint the, I mean, if you, you could, you could potentially burn yourself out if you're, if you're doing it too much and taint the original goal. Maybe. So I thought about that and I, I told people, I don't know if I want a flying job because it might wreck my flying. Right. And then I talked, there's a couple guys in Alaska they talked to and 
there's a game warden from out in Maine who uh, went up to Alaska and flies. And and uh, I said, well, I don't know if I'd want to do that because it might uh, it might make me lose my love for flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, that's stupid. <laughs> if you love flying, you're going to love flying anyway. They go, we go flying. So, for example, the the guy who lives in Alaska that I'm talking about who was uh, when I told him about it and he said he flies like I think cargo planes or big planes jets uh, all over and uh, sit, say does that take away your, your love of flying and he said no it's a different type of flying so he loves what he does for his day job then he goes we'll fly all day he goes I get home and I jump in my cub and we go fly up on the connect and land on a gravel bar hmm. and he goes and it's still just as awesome he goes it, it's a different type of flying so it doesn't take away from our fun bush flying right yeah i've dreamed about being a guide out west um and and that's been the reservation there well on top of just family logistics and whatever else but if i if that was ever an opportunity that would be the concern would it take away and and taint your yeah the original feeling or love that you have for it but the more i think about it and hearing that story i think if you're in it enough and you enjoy working with people which i do i I don't think that would happen no I've got to do some jobs that I thought would it take away the fun, like ski patrol, whatever. Did that for a little bit. I'm like going skiing every day, and uh, does that take away from skiing? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Snowmobile patrol, that's for the sheriff's office. You go snowmobiling every day. Yeah, I didn't want to go snowmobiling on my days off then. Mm-hmm. So it's probably because I didn't have that same passion for snowmobiling as I do for flying or. I think I think I could do a flying job every day and then still look forward to going flying. Yeah. You know, like you're saying hunting guide could uh yeah, same if I could have a flying job for a lodge that works with hunters, uh maybe as in as re I shouldn't even say retirement cuz it's not retirement, you're just switching careers mm-hmm. and I I would be still plenty young enough to still haul moose meat out of a swamp or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't think it would take away from it. Right. No. So who knows? See where life goes. If it, if the opportunity was there and the family was on board with it, I think it could be something that I, I look into in the future for sure. Yeah. Hard to get into it though. Yeah. Alaska too. I asked one of the guys, I said, if I showed up with an airplane, he said, I'll work for you for free. Mm-hmm. Would, would they let me? And he goes, no, probably not. Huh. Like they have their set people their their guides and and it's big money for for them yeah uh you could probably find one that would let you but Mm -hmm. like the established ones have their own setup already right it'd be hard to get into it but maybe same as anywhere else start off at the bottom and work your way up yeah and if i was getting into it it would be like the money would be the last concern like i'd be in a point where i again i'd be like hey let me work for you for free i don't care like let me do it and like you said, even if you have that, it, it might take a bit. You might have to <clears throat> go ask 10 different outfitters to finally have one say, yeah, you can start chopping firewood if you want or something, you know? But, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just a funny story. So when I first went to Alaska, they hired they hired me for two weeks, and they, they want to get a head start on the firewood. Well, we grew up cutting firewood. Right. <laughs> so I was the laziest, probably the laziest, worst firewood cutter in all the Hercuses. Yeah. But uh, when I went to Alaska, I was unreal. They're, yeah. they're like... Oh, you're really good at this. Yeah. Like that's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
they said they usually take all summer all the people at the campground take all summer to cut all their firewood right well i did it in two weeks and it was that was like for our standards it was pretty slow and lazy yeah but for their standards it was great so they then hired me for the whole summer because huh. they were so impressed yeah so cut, <laughs> cutting firewood for the if you get a chance yeah you might think you're this average firewood cutter but who knows? You might be a star, right? And that'd be the way to get in, eh? Yeah. You get really impressed <laughs> by <all>. your <laughs> subpar uh, firewood cutting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's funny. Huh? Yeah. The again, I need to get to Alaska. The twice so far, I've been days away from doing it and haven't done it. So we've been talking like we we're gonna get up there, but we'll see. I mean, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Next year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go, well, we try to go moose hunting every year. I'll mm-hmm. keep doing that with this kind of the similar group every year with brother living up there and my dad going. Uh, we love doing that. And maybe if I can get an airplane up there, we can incorporate that into our into our moose hunting. Yeah. Get us into a spot. Like currently we, we use the rivers to get around. A couple boats up there to river boats and... Mm-hmm use that like the road system but yeah i plan on doing i'll i don't plan on missing another year of that yeah for a while if i can help it yeah that's pretty engaging and exciting oh yeah yeah Yeah. like how for you and the mule deer uh i think about moose hunting a lot and up there it's the logistics of well one it is hard to get one i guess to find them to go out there and get one but then after you get one is where where it's hard so you can't just go shoot a moose somewhere and you're by yourself and then think i'm going to cut it up and carry it out a couple miles through the swamp uh it's just logistically impossible for one person to do yeah i mean i'm sure there's people who've done it but for us to if we'll have us enough people that we could have maybe three four people who can haul moose meat and then when you get one, then if it's a mile or two off the river, uh, through the swamp, then it, within a day or two, we can get all the meat out. Mm-hmm. But if you're up there for a, spending a week on the river, I don't know, thinking about all that stuff, planning for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even buy it last year. I didn't even buy a tag because I got to shoot a moose the year before. And I was thinking, well, it wouldn't be fair for me to shoot one two years in a row when there's other people there who haven't shot one mm-hmm. so you kind of take turns on who get who would pull the trigger but then i'm just camping uh glassing looking for moose uh and then carrying them out when somebody gets one because the whole group could maybe handle two moose yeah and uh so it'd be yeah impossible for us to limit out or anything right or like meal deer where a couple guys can usually you don't spend all day carrying them out it'd just be no just hours of work or whatever mm-hmm. i think this year we spent five days hauling meat yeah and that's uh yeah five days of where the h- real hard work but super rewarding and f- and fun mm-hmm. after the fact right yeah some of your success has come from the fact that you guys are willing to go through those slugs and go further than what most people would haul a moose out right yeah yeah I know the like the guides and they have their people pe- I mean they're in really good shape that's what they live for yeah and then we try to like hike in the cliffs or mountain biking or 
whatever we try to get in shape beforehand and uh and then just being stubborn yeah the joke was i ran into a, a old timer up there this year on the riverbank uh there's a public use cabin old trapper's cabin that uh, we stayed in got to there and there's a guy pulled up with a boat and so i'm bsing with him and uh we we're joking that when he's looking at everyone on our hunting party he says it looks like you, you picked them by uh how well they resemble a muskox it's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah we got like ike bajorn and yeah. levi standing there right going, well yeah you can put a whole moose on their back and yeah. they'll carry it out right yeah no it's fun the uh again mule deer hunting it's uh divided by 10 obviously but the the struggle i mean if you're hauling a deer out of a you know some deep hole or something like that it's that that's a large part of it for sure so it'd be again obviously hauling a moose for five days out of a eight day hunt is a extreme end of that for sure and when you like we're sitting in office chairs and air-conditioned buildings and heated buildings and jumping our air-conditioned car and heated mm -hmm. car right and so like getting out there in nature and being cold and being hot and being wet and experiencing the bugs and like the misery but it isn't really misery right like just love every bit of that yeah and say i want to go out and i've never done the mule deer thing yet mm -hmm. uh someday i'm gonna do it when right. you, maybe when you guys are out there some year yeah or else uh i've heard of where you could incorporate an airplane into it and some of these areas that are landlocked. Yeah. So there's like yeah. public land that's landlocked. Right. If you can fly in there and land, camp out, and then hunt an area that maybe other people can't. Right. So someday do something like that. Yeah. No, there's, yeah. And even if other people are doing it, it's a small amount of people. There's some huge wilderness areas and yeah, out west that, yeah, you could fly into and have some awesome, I mean, on the adventure scale hunt. You know? Yeah, even if you didn't get anything, it isn't even, to me, that is the important part. It'd just be, yeah, the, the fun of planning something like that. Yeah. And then camping out and doing something that maybe most people wouldn't be have the opportunity to do. Yeah. That would be unreal. Huh. That'd be neat. What about uh, <clears throat> somebody else that wants to get into it? You've hinted at it like, hey, it's way more achievable than you think. Uh, it's way more affordable than you think that if you make it a priority, but any advice for somebody that is either a young kid, old person, whatever else saying, Hey, I want to try this. Yeah. Neil's advice. Don't wait. There's a, you're never going to have enough extra money that you go, now I have enough money. I'm going to go do this. Yeah. There's never going to be the right time. Just start doing it. If that's what, I mean, Obviously, there's situations where a person just absolutely can't start. Mm -hmm. I say, if someone wanted to go to a semester of college, could they? Every person I know who's wanted to go to college figured out a way to go for, to college for a semester. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you want to learn how to fly. You could do it if it was a priority. Yeah. The uh, And if you start, so locally, there's not a lot of options. Like you got uh, Cuna Bay Aviation. They do. He only takes a certain amount of students a year like a few students a year. He does a ground school in the wintertime also, uh, something like that. Or they have like two-week courses. People have learned how to fly in two weeks. I don't know if I'd recommend that way, but it's an option. Yeah. Go somewhere. If you go to Phoenix or go to Alaska and learn how to fly. But I think like some of them shorter courses might be a little more 
I know up in Alaska, one of them I looked at, I think it was like 12 grand hmm. for a two week course. And uh, so it was a little more expensive, but there's, there's options, there's ways. And if someone really was interested and they got a hold of me, uh, I'd help them. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Hopefully I wouldn't be surprised if somebody listens to this and says uh, either a, they didn't realize that was an interest of theirs and start looking into it and dive into it, or it's been an interest, but it seems unachievable and hearing that, Hey, anybody can make this happen could inspire them to make yeah. that step. Yeah. If they started now and don't give up when you think you can't do it. Yeah. That's a good point. Hey, you said every person getting into it at some point feels this isn't for, or like, I can't do this. It's too difficult. Eh? Yeah. I, that's what I was told, but maybe he just told it to me yeah. knowing that I, maybe he recognized that I was having those doubts Yeah, and, uh, to make me feel better. Maybe everyone else like, this is easy. Yeah. And I'm the only person, but it sure, yeah. there was a point where I was like, yeah, it was overwhelming and I didn't think I could learn it. Mm-hmm. And I, every, it's like, he also compared it to, uh, driving a tractor. So like if you drive a four wheeler, the first time you hop on a, an ATV, you, you might not know how it operates, but what after a very short time, you understand how it works. Mm-hmm. You jump on a motorcycle, same thing. You jump on a tractor, you just got to learn how it works. Same thing with an airplane. Right. You learn how it works. It's a piece of machinery kind of, right. and doesn't take long and you understand it. Mm-hmm. But certainly it's got to be another level of technicalities beyond that. But I know what you're saying. I mean, eventually it's say, just learn the equipment, learn the gear, learn the processes and you'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah. It's yeah. not that much more complicated. Really? Okay. I mean, yeah, there's another access besides going forwards and backwards and left and right. Now you got to worry about up and down a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's, it's not that complicated. Yeah. just seems so when you start. Right. No, it's cool. Again, it's the, we talking flying in Alaska, but I think it's ties into the same adventurous mindset. So it's neat to hear some of the, some of the stories, anything else you'd want to cover any, uh, favorite memories from flying or unique experiences from flying that, and we'll, we'll close out with that. Any, anything there? Ah, uh, there's so many of them. Like when you say all that we kind of touched on a bunch, like the first solos to getting floats or flying on skis or let's say the the flights to alaska two real memorable moments would have been like entering the canadian rockies in british columbia uh and the lakes were like turquoise blue Hmm. and i remember coming around the corner like we're following a mountain pass because the clouds are kind of the top of the mountain tops so you couldn't fly over the mountains without going into the clouds so going through the lowest mountain passes and I, we entered the mountains, so we're kind of skirting the edge, the east edge of the Canadian Rockies as we're heading, whatever, northwest. And uh, the first the first few minutes as we entered there, I remember that feeling of like, I was looking around going, this doesn't even seem real. Uh, the mountains, uh, both sides of me, straight up, there's glaciers, there's, uh, that was, that was super cool. Huh. And then actually crossing the border into alaska you're still there's still mountains around you uh we cross near beaver creek and then coming into northway that's where we do customs and we had to get there at a certain time whatever to meet up with customs and i remember when we crossed the border it seemed like 
like the grass was greener the <laughs> i mean the lakes were more blue everything about it and i go it was probably because it was like accomplished getting to alaska for the first time right but uh that that stretch right there and uh when rob and i did it that first time uh hard to describe that feeling i guess yeah and i think he had it too i remember we'd key up the radio we had it on our own channel and we'd talk to each other but it was kind of a surreal moment coming into alaska going land at Northway and then flying up flying up into spending the first night in Alaska up in the mountains in a town called Chisana okay met some crazy guy who uh yeah we thought we thought he was gonna hit us with a shovel (laughs) (laughs) yeah we went to his house and yeah old Terry yeah that's a whole nother podcast in itself yeah but I won't get into that okay but the whole too many, too many that I could I could go on forever talking about them, but right. I guess, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It gives me the as you were telling the story about the the surrealness of the mountains in in the uh, Rockies, and then going into Alaska it gives me the same chills or the same feeling of hearing about your first flight. So it's neat to, I guess you ch- you chose two good ones. So, but Tom, thanks for coming on. Yep, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey guys. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.